Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. All right, so we made it to Joel chapter 2, and today we'll do part 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Joel chapter 2. Last week, we figured out that the day of the Lord is a remarkable day and a horrible day. It's a glorious day and a dark day. Not last week, but two weeks ago. And in Joel chapter 2, it's going to start out in verses 1 and 2 about the day of the Lord again. In fact, Joel is going to repeat themes throughout the book. And in verse 1, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Again, a reference to the day of the Lord. And what feast could that be? Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, and we brought this shofar. That blowing the trumpet, a day like no other day, a dark day that we found out is the breaking of the sixth seal where the sun grows dark. Let's continue. Uh, verse two, uh, 1b, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread out over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there ever be anything like it again to the many generations. That is a prophetic marker. We read that in four passages of Scripture in the Bible. Matthew 24 is one of them. Jesus said, after the tribulation of those days, there is going to be a day like never was and never will be again. In Daniel chapter 12, uh, there's a day like no, never was and never will again, the same day, and all Israel is going to be protected and rescued. And we know after the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can email me later. But uh, essentially, the last seven years, this false messiah is going to enact a peace treaty with many. And in the midpoint, he's going to go into the temple and proclaim himself God. And when he does, all hell breaks loose, six seal is broken, and all Israel is going to be protected and taken to the wilderness. And we know the innocents won't be here as well. So the day of the Lord we've covered if you've missed it, you can go back and watch it online, but we've covered that in-depth actually about five weeks uh, leading up to uh, Luke's like, yeah, we were a five-week introduction to, to this. And you can read about, there's no day like it before, nor will there ever be a day like it again. We also know the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah. That, that passage, he also says, hey, it's a day like no other. There's never been a day like this, and there never will be again. They're all talking about the same day. It's a unique day where the sun grows dark, the moon doesn't give its light. That's where it fits. So uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but let's just keep going. Verse 3 of Joel chapter 2, A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Okay, this is judgment. This is the wrath of God. And why don't you flip over to Revelation chapter 9, starting at verse 13, and we read about exactly what Joel saw. It's the sixth trumpet in the trumpet judgments. And Joel here got a glimpse of this great army that occurs after the day of the Lord, which is the breaking of the sixth seal. We know, let me, let's go back to that slide. 
Uh, so the sixth seal is the day of the Lord. Sun grows dark, moon doesn't give its light. All the kings of the earth, including the Antichrist, hides in the caves because God's wrath, the day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Day of the Lord. So then God begins to judge the trumpet judgments. And this, what Joel saw after the day of the Lord here, remember, prophecy isn't always chronologically. They get glimpses. We go to Revelation chapter 9, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. God's exacting, isn't he? I mean, this very day, this very hour God prepared that were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. And I heard the number of them, and this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates of the color of fire and hyacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were like heads of lion, and out of their mouths proceeded fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of mankind was killed by these plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded from their mouth. For the power of the horses was in their mouths and their tails, were like serpents having heads, and they did harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed from these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, of worshiping idols, etc., etc. They didn't repent of their sorceries and all of that. So a fire went out before these guys. Go back to Joel chapter 2 and destroyed. So again, verse 3, a fire consumes before them, behind them a flame burns, a land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them. Nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses, so they run. With a noise of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains like crackling flame and fire-consuming stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle before them. Remember in, in Revelation chapter 9, it was a 200 million man army, but these were not men. These were weird horses with lion's heads and serpent tails and... Uh, the men riding them potentially were demons, whoever God used to do this to burn before them. Uh, before them, people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. Verse 7, they run like mighty men. They climb walls like soldiers and each march in line. They do not deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the walls. They climb into the houses they enter through the windows like a thief before them the earth quakes the heavens tremble the sun and moon grow dark the stars lose their brightness the lord utters his voice before his army surely his camp is great for strong is he who carries out his word the day of the lord indeed is great and awesome who can endure it yet even now declares the lord and i love this new testament theology in the old testament you know god doesn't change amen he's the same yesterday today and forever Hey, Ross, do you mind? They need to sit on those comfy chairs because they have bad backs. Oh, that'd be great. Ross, you want to let them know those chairs are open? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best tithers, so they get... No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I am so kidding. Lord have mercy. Whew. You know, just me just trying to be as serious as I can is funny. So it's just, <laughs> Lord have mercy. Yes. All right. So, so, 
most of evangelical Christianity today puts the rapture somewhere here. Uh, I hope they are right, but I really believe that, I know that there is a rapture that takes place right here, a resurrection. Uh, in Daniel chapter 12, it talks about the day like no other day and all of that. It says, uh, and he will be rescued, speaking of Israel, and those who sleep in the dust of the earth, some are going to awake at this point, right at that day like no other day. Daniel chapter 12 in the first two verses, you can see a resurrection happens there. So, exactly, yeah. So, did that answer that? All right. All right, so where did I get to? Oh, yeah. New Testament theology in the Old Covenant, God does not change. Okay, do we all agree? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, uh, all the covenants are still in effect. Remember, we went over that, the Adamic covenant. What did God say? Hey, take care of the earth. Go, go be fruitful and multiply. Get married. One man, one woman, that's what marriage is. It's nothing else. Get married and have children and build families and take care of the earth. Are we still under that? Absolutely. Absolutely. How about the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments? Hey, we still have to obey the Ten Commandments. Make no mistake about it. They're still in effect. Hey, Christ fulfilled all the Levitical laws and all of that, but Mosaic Covenant was the Ten Commandments. How about the Davidic Covenant? Oh, yeah. Hey, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. It's the throne of David that Jesus was a descendant of who will rule forever over Israel, and we will rule and reign with him. And we go, the Noitic covenant, we're still under. In fact, the disciples, when the Judaizers said, oh, they have to get circumcised, they have to obey all the Levitical laws, they said, no, here's all they have to do. Don't eat things uh, sacrificed to idols, don't, eat, uh, don't drink blood, and keep yourself free from sexual immorality. Kind of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the Noitic covenant brought forward. And of course, the uh, Christolic covenant we're still under because that's the new covenant. But here we have new covenant theology in the Old testament verse 12 of joel chapter 2 yet even now declares the lord return to me with all your heart do we still need to do that hey i don't know about you but i get tainted by this world all the time i get busy i get sucked into worldly things and i need to run and return to the lord and say lord i love you so much forgive me man cleanse me i want to be pleasing to you i want to walk with you i want to be holy Remember I asked the question a couple of weeks ago, hey, did anyone here try not to sin in the past week? No one raised their hands. <laughs> we need to try not to sin. We may fall into it, but we need to pursue holiness. Amen? Okay. Hey, return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness sounds like new covenant theology right it is and relenting oh any other translation for that word relenting repenting king james says repenting nlt says and changes his mind of evil who knows whether he will not change his mind or turn and repent and leave a blessing with him huh does God change his mind? We know that God does not change, but I think we're going to pause right there and we're going to look at that. So what we just went over is all those judgments. And uh, Daniel 2.3, Daniel saw the, the sixth 
trumpet judgment. By the way, who knows what happens right here at the seventh trumpet judgment? Jesus takes back the world. Not until then. Who's the king of the world right now? Satan is. We live in enemy territory. Why do we look around and wonder why the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Why godly morals and Judeo-Christian ethics have been trampled under feet and we see before us even our righteous heart just grieves. Does, does yours grieve? I look around and it's like, what is happening? We live in enemy territory. We appear, what does the Bible say, as lights in the midst of a perverse and dark generation. We need to shine forth the light of Jesus. Just like in Sunday school, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Who remembers that? Okay, uh, good Sunday school people, yeah. Hiding under a bushel, no. Yeah, I used to carry my little Gideon's New Testament in kindergarten and preach to people everywhere we went. My parents said, stop doing that, you know. Uh, Oh. Mom and Dad, did, I think you did, didn't you? I, I mean, I don't remember. I know they're going to be watching, so they'll say, we never told you to stop. Probably didn't tell me to stop. I don't remember. Anyway, so we just read a verse that's kind of interesting. Joel chapter 2, yet even now declares the Lord. By the way, Lord in all caps in your Bible, is that how it is? It should be because that's the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. It is the proper name of God. Jews, though, every time they see the proper name of God, they will not say his name. So they said Adonai or Lord. Are you with me? So that's why we, unfortunately, our translators, translates the proper name of God, Y-H-W-H, the tetragrammaton, Lord. That's a bad translation. In fact, the best translation potentially would be Yahweh. When you say Lord God, do you mean other God's Father? So Lord typically is a reference this, the proper name of God the Father. Jesus' name is Yeshua, which is God our salvation. And God is Elohim, or El, or Yah in the Bible. Um, and so Elohim is God's plural. It is the singular plurality of, of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Though separate, three individuals, they are one, complete uh, unity, uh, if that makes sense. It can. So Yahweh potentially means I am, the self-existent one. Uh, um, so when, when he told Moses in the burning bush, hey, tell him, I am sent you. It's kind of like he is all in all. He is Jehovah, uh, sorry, Yahweh <laughs> Jireh, our provider. He is the one that meets every need. In fact, when people mess up, they try to get their heartfelt needs met in a way that God didn't intend. Does that make sense? So we all have needs relationally, emotionally, uh, functionally, all of that, and God wants us to seek Him first so that He can meet all our needs. But if we're not seeking Him first, we will pursue other avenues to get our needs met, and most of those, unfortunately, are self-destructive. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, when we're tempted, it says, "Man, you're not tempted. God doesn't tempt anyone, and you're not tempted. You're, when you're tempted, you're carried away by your own desires and doing all that stuff rather than pursuing holiness." Okay, so here's where it gets crazy. And relenting of evil, repenting, changing his mind about doing something that he had purposed to do in the first place, 
Joel 2.14, who knows whether he will not turn and relent. Again, the same word in the Hebrew, and leave a blessing behind him. So the idea is this. Does God change his mind? Does he really repent? Does he choose a course and then change his mind and say, oh, I'm not going to do that after? It's the same word that's used here in Exodus 13.17 in the Hebrew. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, for God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Same word here that God did. Okay, and note this. God didn't take them the easy route to the promised land through the land of the Philistines because God said they might, doesn't God know, change their mind and go back to Egypt. If God had full foreknowledge, wouldn't he say, they will change their mind? I know, I have foreknowledge. If I, if I take them this way, they will go back to Egypt, so I have to take them the long way and all of that. But he said they might, and change their minds is the same word used for God. Hmm. Fact of the matter is this. It is rare that God's will is done on earth. Do you know that? Right now, who, who owns the earth? Satan, he's the king of this earth. Christ won't take it back to the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And it says, now the kingdom of the earth has become the kingdom of our God and his Savior. And now they will reign. But until then, we're in enemy territory, and God's will is not done. Is it God's will for uh, people to be raped, murdered, mass shootings, all of that? Absolutely not. That is the will of Satan himself, who is the enemy of us all, who desires all people to get to the point of depression and suicide and murder and hate. That is not God's will. That's why Jesus, when the disciples said, how should we pray? Please teach us how should we pray. He said this, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven, meaning it's not right now. If Christ were reigning on this world, I can assure you, there would be no mass murders, there would be no war, because when he does establish his millennial reign on this planet, it will be like the Garden of Eden. The earth, even creation, cries out for that day. So we need to pray that God's will would be done on earth, but a lot of times it's not, meaning it's not so. Uh, does God change his mind or relent of a course of action he was going to take? The question is crucial if we consider free will. It's also crucial if we consider the power of prayer. You know any Christians that gave up praying, that they don't pray? I, okay, Scott does. I know some too. Hey, there's no use to pray. In fact, some Christians who actually even believe in the power of prayer, what usually lacks in their Christian walk? Prayer. Maybe they'll pray at a meal. Maybe. And that's almost a memorized, hey, Father, Lord, thanks for this food. Bless to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's eat. Uh, maybe they'll pray at a meal. Why do you think the enemy distracts believers from prayer? Well, some say, why pray? God already knows exactly what's going to happen, and it will happen according to his foreknowledge. It is destined to happen. Thus, my prayers do not do anything. And the lie of the enemy is, you come to Mount Everest and you think with your prayer you can push the mountain out of the way, but you can't. When Christ said, with a little bit of faith, 
the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Wow. If we really believed in the power of prayer, whoa. So we're going to tackle this question this morning. First, let's make it crystal clear that this, God does not change. Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. His character, who he is, he doesn't break his promises, and he cannot break covenant. So whatever covenant he has made, he cannot and will not break. Whatever promises he has made, he cannot and will not break. But it doesn't say that he can't change his mind. Are you with me? In fact, 15 times clearly, and more than that alluded to in Scripture, men prayed and God changed his mind, or that word relented in doing something, changed his mind, or even repented, depending on how you translate it in context. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and the whole Bible is provisional promises. What do I mean by that? God says, if you do this, I will do that. But if you don't do this, I won't do that. Does that make sense? Okay, so Deuteronomy 30 is one of those classic texts that kind of goes through that. And it's all about free will. In fact, the whole Bible is about choosing this day whom you're going to serve. I'm either going to be pleasing to the Lord, I'm going to make that free will choice, or I'm going to be pleasing to myself, and I'm going to choose to disobey God. So Deuteronomy 30, starting at verse 15, it says this. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them. In fact, even in the new covenant, we need to love. Turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the uh, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost command. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, the whole law and the prophets uh, are, are, are fulfilled. And so the whole idea is we are still obedient to all the law and prophets by loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourself and those other things. So anyway, that was, again, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what? Keep my commandments. Okay. All right. So Jonah, remember him. In chapter 3, verse 4, then Jonah began to go through the city declaring the word of the Lord. And here's what God told him to say. 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. God didn't say, unless you repent. In fact, God said, I am going to overthrow and destroy Nineveh in 40 days. What happened? The people in Nineveh heard it and believed God. And they repented. So what did God do? Do you think he changed his mind? Oh, absolutely. Then you go to Jonah 4.2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God. Aren't you glad of that? Hey, even in the Old Covenant, he was gracious and compassionate. You think so much more in the New Covenant when we have Christ, the propitiation, the payment for our sin? Absolutely. Don't let the enemy say you've blown it one too many times. God doesn't love you anymore. You're going to go to hell. Any of me ever tell you that? Hey, man, you've blown it so much. Oh, God has given up on you. No, no matter how you fail, Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross. His blood cleanses us and you are born again through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Isn't that great? Man, don't let the enemy bring condemnation to you. Slow to anger, abundant and loving kindness. And one who relents, same word. Remember when the Jewish people changed their mind? Hey, I, I don't want to take them to the land of the Philistines. If they see war, they will change their mind. They will relent. They will change and go back to Egypt. Change your mind concerning the calamity. Okay. So, Exodus 32 is Moses' prayer. And notice it's interesting because God was going to wipe out the whole nation of Israel. Why was he going to do it here? Because they had built that calf, right? Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments. God had spoken audibly to the whole nation. He had led them out of the land of Egypt. They had seen miraculous things, and yet... For a few days, Moses leaves them to get the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> and somehow they say, let's make a golden calf. What? And so Moses is coming down and God burned in anger. I'm, I won't read the text. We don't have time. God burned in anger against them. And he said, I am going to wipe this people out. And Moses, I'm going to make you and your descendants a mighty nation. What did Moses do? He interceded for the people. And begin to pray and please God, have mercy on these people for your name's sake. And he began to pray, and God, in text, the same word, changed his mind of the calamity that he was going to put on the nation of Israel. And uh, Moses appealed when he prayed to this. He appealed because the Israelites are God's people, because God's reputation among the heathens, because of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because of God's character, and because God's consistent mercy. And after praying in this way, God changed his mind. In fact, Psalm uh, 106 talks about that. It's clear that Moses stood in the breach to turn away God's wrath and tells us that the fervent prayer of a righteous man does availeth much. And uh, you can read Psalm 106 later, but it talks about when Moses interceded. There's one verse. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach or interceded for them to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Interesting. You think prayer works? Yeah, prayer is powerful and it works. Exodus 22:30 30 provides further evidence 
In some circumstances, it's also even uh, to stand between God and man. And it says this, Exodus 22:30. I searched for a man among uh, who could build up the wall and stand in the gap or intercede for, uh, before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. And guess what God did? He destroyed it in the next verse. God looked for someone to pray for the land like Moses did. Here, no one, no one did, but he looked. Will anyone just pray so that I don't have to destroy? And no one did. He searched. Folks, don't let the enemy lie to you and say prayer is not powerful. We need to pray for our kids. We need to pray for our spouses. Kids, you need to pray for your parents. You don't know what they go through for you. Man, we need to be building and lifting one another up. We need to pray for each other in this body. Prayer is powerful. Prayer moves the hand of God. In fact, prayer with a little bit of faith can move mountains. Should we not be a people of fervent prayer? <clears throat> Don't let the enemy lie to you. Oops. All right. So 1 Samuel 15, 11, it says, I regret, same word there, I relent, I change my mind that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and does not carry out my commands. 1 Samuel 15, 11. Again, God regretted, changed his mind. Exodus 32, 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Again, that same word, a verb meaning to be sorry, to repent, to pity, it can be used to comfort because you change from a bad course to a good course, and that brings comfort. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been purposefully, willfully sinning against God, and you were so miserable, you turned, you repented, and the comfort of God came? Okay, that's what it's talking about there. It's that turning from doing something that you had planned to do, and that's a comforting thing. Are you with me? Okay. So, yeah, some guys will say, well, that, no, God was just comforted that he didn't do it. Well, he was comforted because he changed his mind. Are you with me? Okay. Up until now, God had only done this once since creation, changed his mind. Up until this point, Exodus 32. And that's when Genesis 6, 6, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I want you to consider that. That same word there, sorry. He, he repented. He changed his mind. He wished he wouldn't have done it, and he was grieved to his heart. Why is that? Did God know we were going to sin and fail, and every intent of our heart was going to be evil? That's why he had to destroy the whole world, except no one has sons. He knew it. But so why was he grieved? We have foreknowledge here. Can we grieve the Holy Spirit? That's weird, right? He knows exactly what we're going to do tomorrow. And yet when we do it in the chronological uh, fulfillment of time, the linear progression of time, when we do it, it grieves his heart, even though he knew we were going to do it. Are you with me? We're going to talk about foreknowledge in a minute. Repent, to change your mind, to regret. It's the same word again throughout. 1 Samuel 15, 19, note this. Uh, also the glory of Israel 
uh, will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. See the Greek numbers there? It's all the same word. 5162, 5162. This verse tells us God does not change his mind, right? So what about all the other verses we just read that said God does change his mind? We need to take everything we read in context. It's one of the rules of hermeneutics, the science of interpreting scripture, right? Just a few verses after this, guess what God does? Changes his mind. 1 Samuel 15, 35. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted. Same word. Notice the strong number. The Lord changed his mind. Changed. He regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Okay. All right. Hey, God is not going to change his mind by some happenstance, non-consequential, for no reason at all. God will have reason to change his mind. The reason is what? When we repent. Hey, if we're going to pursue a bad course, his discipline will come. When a nation pursues a bad course, unfortunately like ours, discipline will come. But if the nation repents, then, man, God's going to hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Does that make sense? So God doesn't happen chancely change his mind like, I won't, I won't say girls, like guys do. <laughs> uh, did I say like women do? Uh, I don't, never mind. I like the caps there. No, 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 over there. Okay, so God changed his mind. Uh, but we must examine why God changed his mind, and that's as a result of prayer. And... Compassion, mercy, all of that, right? So is prayer just an exercise of futility or is there power in prayer? There is power in prayer, right? And many Christians ask themselves this question, why should I pray? And that's why if you wonder, the hardest thing in your Christian walk is prayer. For most Christians. For most Christians, the hardest thing is to be a man or woman or young person of prayer that are in their prayer closet. What's that movie, The War Room? It's true. Prayer changes things. Prayer is powerful. If God knows everything and has foreknowledge of future events, why should we pray? It's going to happen exactly as he knows it. In fact, we read, um, if God knows the future, why bother praying for something? Isn't it already settled? That's what people say. It's one of the deepest and most theological and philosophical questions we need to ask ourselves. Because the deep philosophical question has real-life, practical, hardcore, worldview-shaping implications. Either we are robots, everything is predestined. In fact, that little thing, speck floating right there, was preordained by God to do that right now, so I'd be distracted and get away from the message. No. <laughs> Does God hear my prayers and answer them? Why should I pray? The fact is, we're commanded to pray, and we know all the verses. Pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5.44. And when you pray, Matthew 6.5, then uh, this is how you should pray. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, Romans 12.12. 12. 
And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Ephesians 6.18 Do not be anxious about anything. Philippians 4, right? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your emotions and your thoughts. And you take every thought captive to obedience to Christ anyway. But prayer helps us do that. Vote yourselves to prayer and be watchful, Colossians 4.2. Pray continually, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I urge you then, let requests and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving made for everyone, 1 Timothy 2.1. The end of all things is near. Boy, and the more you look around, you can see we are living in the last days. Therefore, 1 Peter 4.7, be of sound judgment for the purpose of prayer. We need to be people of prayer. The church should be doing it. Acts 2.42, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Three things important for the church to do. Continually devoting, there in the Greek is proskartario, and it literally means to make your life passion and purpose to do this. I can remember growing up in church, and church was our life. Does anyone remember that? I mean, literally Sundays, man, you went to church and uh, Mondays you, you went to someone's house in the church and we fellowshiped and broke bread and Tuesdays we'd have youth group and Bible study and uh, we had Royal Rangers back then. You ever hear of Royal Rangers? Okay, that, that's uh, uh, Assemblies of God. That's what I grew up in. Uh, kind of like Boy Scouts. And uh, Every night almost, we were in church or breaking bread. We were fellowshipping. We were uh, coming together as a church. Man, those three things makes a successful church. And I know a lot of people say it's about how many people you can cram into a building or how big your building is. But I say the church that is faithful, that is being a united body where one member hurts, the whole body hurts. Where one rejoices, everyone rejoices. That's a successful church. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, Romans 12.10. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in the Spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. And that's how you persevere in tribulation. Some Christians only pray when the storm's upon them. Wouldn't it be great to pray all the time before the storm comes? Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving, Colossians 4.2. And thank God thanksgiving is coming up. I love that holiday. It's a holiday about giving glory and praise to God as a nation. Wouldn't it be great if the nation did that again? And prayer does things. Matthew 7, <clears throat> verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. James 5.13, and you can read it later, but it essentially says, hey, you have not because you what? Ask not. You're not praying, so I'm not giving. Hmm. What of predetermination there? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Uh, by the way, men, if you don't honor your wives as a fellow heir of the grace of God, your prayers will be what? Hindered. Wow. 1 John 3.22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Wow, there's a lot of provisional promises about prayer here. 
We know our motives have to be right. Hey, you pray, but you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Hey, men, you pray and don't receive because you don't honor your wife. That would be reciprocated too. Wives, if you don't honor your husband, the principle goes both ways. Your prayers will be stopped, hindered, blocked. Kids, if you don't honor your father and mother, your prayers will be blocked. God will not hear your prayers. Oh, he'll hear them, but he's looking for one. Repent of what you're doing wrong and pursue him first and keep his commandments. Then he'll hear your prayers. Are you with me? 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked for him. And that's important too. If we're asking something against his will, probably won't be answered. But can God change his mind? It appears so. 15 times in, in the Bible he did. Hmm. Joshua one time didn't even pray. Remember, they were fighting, and Joshua commanded the sun and the moon to stop until they defeated their enemy. Do you remember? And what did God say? Joshua 10, 14. And there was a day like none before it or after it when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The word listen there means to listen and obey or to hear and obey. God obeyed the command Joshua did, and he didn't even pray. I think that is why we no longer have a 360-day year because of this day. And the other day when, what was it, the king was dying, and he said, man, if you're going to preserve my life, then let the shadow go backwards you know, so many hours. Those two events, something happened because I think we would add a perfect 360-day year, 30-day month, all of that until these two events happened. Something changed. Uh, the way it was initially intended. Because a prophetic year is 360 days. Prophetic month is typically 30 days. Kind of interesting. Okay. All right. So the Bible is clear. Uh, we're commanded to pray. Prayer changes things. But does prayer change God's mind? We have 15 minutes. Can you stick with me? Okay. God is not limited to what people do or don't do. Can we agree with that? He is the prime mover, the first cause. He is the creator of all things. He is sovereign. He is almighty. He is everything. But he has included people in his plans, and he originated the idea of prayer for a purpose. It's extreming and inexplicable why God Almighty, who has foreknowledge, already knows every scenario, every thought, every need, would require people to pray for him. Yet he does... And we partner with God when we pray. James 4, 2b, you do not have because you do not ask. Think about the implication. What if God intended for you to really be blessed and, and, and your marriage to be great, but you haven't asked God, you haven't prayed, and so he can't do it until you pray. Does that make sense? Could it be he wanted to bless you in some way, but he knows you're not going to pray for it, so he won't give it to you. If you do pray for it, he then is able to give it to you. But if they, in Jeremiah 18, 7, at one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot it, to pull it down, or to destroy it. I'm going to destroy Nineveh. 
Hey, Jonah, go tell them in 40 days, I'm going to wipe it out. Oh, but the Ninevites believed it and repented, so God changed his mind. Note this, Jeremiah 18.8. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent, same word, change my mind concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. You know the good news is, as children of God, the minute we run to God in repentance and we pursue him with our whole heart, he forgives and the windows of heaven can then open and blessings can again be poured out on our life. Mm. Or another moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it, but if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. In fact, he will break his promise if they don't hold to their end of the covenant, which is obedience to God. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So there's all the places where God changed his heart, changed his mind, and some, of the, some others. All right. So... These are uh, emotions that God had. He was angry. He was grieved. He was jealous um, in, in the course of things. So even though he has foreknowledge, for some reason in the linear progression of time, as we make bad choices, it grieves God. Do you think Jesus knew that they were going to reject him as Messiah? So when he came down, why did he weep? You know, the shortest verse, Jesus wept. If you already knew it. Because in the linear progression of time, when we make the choice that's displeasing to him, it grieves him. It's all about free will from the beginning to the end. And God doesn't show partiality, meaning he didn't pick you and you. You're going to make it to heaven and the rest of you, sorry, I didn't choose you. I didn't elect you, so you're going to burn in hell. No, God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't look at the external appearance. There's no favoritism. He judges each one impartially. In fact, it's all about free will. Hmm. Acts 10, 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. It's all about free will, folks. Prayer changes God's mind 15 times in Scripture. So how does this relate to God's foreknowledge? Let's cover that. We've got nine minutes. All right, here we go. Psalm 139.2. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar, you scrutinize my path, my laying down, you are intimately equated with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Do you think God knows all things? Oh yeah, it's part of who he is. He has foreknowledge of everything that will occur. We have foreknowledge too. John 14, 29, Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe. I will not speak much more with you. The ruler of the world, speaking of Satan, is coming and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. So that foreknowledge, what he has told us, even through the prophets, we knew Israel would come back to the land and become a viable nation in the last days. We knew that. 
many denominations and men of God rejected that. They thought, oh, no way is Israel, so their replacement theology started. But we knew if you just studied Scripture, God in the last days was going to bring the nation back. That's foreknowledge, folks. 1948, they did. We knew Russia would align with Iran and Turkey and others in the last days. The Gog-Magog alliance, which is radical. People are still wondering, why did Russia align with them? They have. We knew it. But just because we had foreknowledge of the events doesn't mean we made them happen. Are you with me? Just because God has foreknowledge of everything that will happen does not mean that God made it happen. Because foreknowledge is to know in advance what will occur. Okay. Foreknowledge that God knows all things, real, possible, eventual, all that could be, all that would be, and that God really does have that knowledge is foreknowledge. He has knowledge before he even creates. If God is going to create, he knows what's going to happen in creation. He knows it because he is God and God knows all things. He knows all things so perfectly that he knows not only what people would do or could do, but he knows what they will do. He knows every potentiality of every choice that you made. Meaning, he knows, if, oh, instead of deciding to go to this college, you went to this college, what would have happened in your life? He knows it all. He knows, think about how crazy that is. Every potential choice that you make, he knows the final outcome of that choice. Do you think he's trying to lead us? That's why in Romans chapter 8, it says, those who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. How are you led by the Spirit? By praying. Lord, give me direction in my life. Lord, help me to choose the right path to take. Lord, if I'm going down the wrong path, please shut this door and open up the right door so I'm following your will, trying to be in your will. God has foreknowledge. That is a technical term in theology. It means to, to know something before it occurs. And it will happen according to God's foreknowledge. However, it is on the basis of foreknowledge that he makes his plan works his plan in relationship to creatures who are free and choose things. Things do not happen because God knows them. God knows them because they will happen. God did not create evil. God does not tempt, and he can't be tempted. God can't break covenant. God won't break his promises, but his promises are provisional. If we don't choose to do the right path, he will break the promise. He will allow calamity to come. But if we repent, he will then give blessing instead of calamity. Yes. Oh, yeah, even the curses. Like Nineveh is a prime example. It was cursed. He was going to wipe them out. They repented. <laughs> he changed his mind. Foreknowledge is God foreseeing what will happen, not that God made it happen. So, my action determines God's foreknowledge, and that is very important. God knows things because I will freely do them. I don't do them because God knows them. I know this is kind of philosophically deep stuff. But God's foreknowledge is not based on his predetermined plan, but his predetermined plan is based on his foreknowledge and is therefore predestined to happen according to his foreknowledge. So, C.S. Lewis. The event in question has already been decided. In a sense, it was decided before all the words, before creation. But one of the things taken into account 
and deciding it. And therefore, one of the things that really caused it to happen may be this very prayer that we are now offering. Do you see what C.S. Lewis is saying? It is our prayer that God foresaw that made God determine his plan. My free act of prayer contributes to the cosmic shape. That contribution is made in eternity before all the words or before creation. So God foreknows, uh, foreknowledge already takes our prayers into account. God's foreknowledge is chronologically prior to our prayers, but is logically, but our prayers are logically prior to what God foreknows. Okay. If we were to pray differently or fail to pray, God would not be caught by surprise. He would already know. He would already have a providential plan for that. But his plan is based on his foreknowledge, meaning our actions he foresees and thus has a plan. And it all comes together like that. In the linear progression, you ever watch a movie twice? You know, you can, I, I've watched a movie five times. And this one scene, it still scares me or I cry or it still gets me. Even though I had foreknowledge, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I'm even like praying for the Lord, let him make the right decision this time. And it happens and I'm grieved in my heart. And I'm not trying to compare God's grieving over our stupid mistakes like ours because he is infinitely above us like Pastor Chris's message last week. The majesty of God, which part two will be the 17th. Uh, you got to hear that because Pastor Chris is a classic, classical preacher. I mean, he's got all of that. I am, uh, uh, you know, I just, I'm not, I'm not a really classical preacher. I'm not. He is a classical preacher. You've got to come hear it. But anyway, even before he created the universe, he already knew every prayer that would be uttered, and he already determined the answer to that prayer. Yes, no, or what? Wait. Every time you pray, it's either going to be, okay, here, boom, I'm going to do it, or no, I can't do it, or just wait. And he determined that before the foundation of the earth. Prayer is important. Two minutes. So we know this, Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good tidings, good things. Okay. So we need to not only pray, but we need to act. Are you with me? We could pray all we want. Get in our prayer war room and pray and pray and pray. Lord, heal my marriage. Okay, are you being loving? Are you being kind? Are you serving your spouse? Are you honoring your spouse? Does that make sense? Hey, Lord, do this. Well, we need to act, not just pray. Are you with me? Okay. But when we pray, we have the strength to act. I tell you what. So faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Back to prayer. Really quick. Ah, two minutes. Even when we don't know what to pray, God, according to his foreknowledge, prays for, for us the Holy Spirit, right? So he makes intercession for us. Romans chapter 8, he searches our heart and the Spirit groans and intercedes for us. Do you think prayer is important if even the Holy Spirit has to pray for us? Yeah. Jesus in the garden said, Father, not my will. Please take this cup from me. Please change your mind. 
Do you think Jesus would pray that if there wasn't a potentiality of God to change his mind? Father, please change your mind, but not my will. Let, let your will be done. Hmm. Our prayers influence what God decided to do before the creation of the world. And as foreknowledge, God processes all foreseen acts, decisions, choices, every free will event in the linear progression of time. And he foresaw it and he determined his answer and all of that somehow. It doesn't negate free will and it certainly does not negate the sovereignty of God. They go hand in hand. It doesn't make us our own Savior because salvation is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That is it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So that's about it. You got to have faith and not doubt. Uh, last thing when you pray, you got to believe that God is all powerful and can answer your prayer. You don't pray for someone who's sick thinking in your mind, he's never going to heal him. Well, he won't. Because James says if you, if you doubt, He's not going to do it. Oh my goodness, but he must ask in faith without doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven or tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord. Uh, I, I remember I used to pray that way. He's never going to heal. The, uh, Lord, please heal him. All right. You know? <laughs> and I never saw it. And then one time, I don't know, it was like my junior year of Bible college. I'm praying for someone. The Holy Spirit said, I'm going to heal them. And I'm like, what? And Lord, heal them in Jesus' name. And boom, they were healed. And it was like, whoa, that was crazy. Now I always ask God before I pray for someone who's sick, Lord, do you want to heal them? Or is it your will that they stay sick to learn something? Are you with me? That could happen. And so, Lord, what is your plan in here? And how do you want me to pray? Uh, so then I'll pray, Lord, just give them your peace and draw them to you through this sickness and guide the doctors in caring for them. And other times I might pray, Lord, supernaturally heal him in Jesus' name. Come on up, worship team. So I hope if nothing else, uh-oh, oh, that's what I did. If nothing else, uh, this sermon encourages you to become a man or woman or, or a young person of prayer. God hears your prayers. Prayer is powerful. It's important. It moves mountains, and your actions and choices are predetermining the course that God is going to take your life in. Sand restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.